church should be the space that says, oh, you have questions about that? Like, let's search and, mm. and question and wonder um, and wrestle with that together. Um, and that those questions are valid and needed. And yeah. I think it actually can lead to a broader scope of belief and understanding that maybe the the Christian subculture that you grew up in is not the only way of following Jesus. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. This season, we're learning what it means to pull apart Christian beliefs and examine your faith in a process called deconstruction. We'll cover the most questioned topics within Christianity in hopes that it will help all of us better understand what we believe. All right. So, Alyssa, this is season five of the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. Super exciting to be Woo-hoo! here. Are you excited for season five? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, just tackling some really light subjects. As we do. <laughs> right. It's kind of the theme of the podcast. I know. Sure. Wait a minute. I only want to talk about pop culture, and somehow <laughs> we always talk about really hard things. But it's true. It's going to be fun. It's true. Yeah. I'm excited for this season. So, this season, we are covering the topic of deconstruction. We're going to be hitting a lot of different ideas on the faith that people are. are deconstructing, questioning, wrestling with, doubting. Uh, And so my question to start the conversation is when you think of the term deconstruction, uh, what do you hear? Or what are some stories that you associate with this idea of deconstruction? Yeah, so I feel like right now deconstruction is everywhere. Um, so I would almost compare it to when everyone said like bling bling 20 years ago, right? That's just like <laughs> everyone's saying it. It used to be cool people. Now it's just like middle-aged white ladies. Right. We're all talking about deconstruction. Yeah. Um, I think the pipeline from deconstruction or, well, sorry, bling bling to like cool people to moms is the same like trajectory of Facebook from like cool right? people to moms. It's very, Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. And I always think of it as people who are kind of wrestling with their faith, processing through kind of some things that supposedly truths that have always been assumed and kind of questioning, are these things true? Is this really biblical? You know, or is this just a culture that we've created that says that these things are black and white? Yeah, totally. And I, like, I agree. It's everywhere. And Mm -hmm. it almost feels at this point, like it's a cliche. Yeah. Like uh, one of the things we kept talking about with this is we know people are going through, we know people are experiencing deconstruction and wrestling and doubting. uh, But that word itself just seems to kind of have this uh, connotation of like cliche. And and, um, it seems like a catch-all phrase for a lot of things that are happening in culture, particularly in Christian culture. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's kind of funny because when you look look at the, this idea of deconstruction, it actually comes from a, a philosopher about 150 to 200 years ago. Uh-huh. And it's this very random, off the, it's a literary analysis term uh-huh. from this guy named Jacques Derrida. Ooh. Yeah, I took French in high school. That's <laughs> Cle- not clearly. True. Clearly, everyone can tell. <laughs> No, so Derrida, he had this idea um, that he called deconstruction, and basically his assertion was that meaning is not static, um, and instead it continually evolves and varies across time and space. Uh, He's kind of this idea, uh, the father of this idea that language is derivative, basically meaning that words derive their meaning from other words rather than some absolute truth. And if you have any kind of like awareness around culture for the last 20 to 30 years, uh, we often 
think of this as kind of the concept of postmodern thought. He's mm-hmm. in some ways considered one of the fathers of, of postmodern thought. And at a third grade reading level, this idea of post- <laughs> postmodernity is this idea that truth is relative, um, meaning is relative, and they're they're not static. So they're not the same mm-hmm. across time and space, and they're they're subjective to your own reality. And so he kind of had this idea specifically for literary analysis that yeah. words change in meaning. Um, but that concept just kind of blew up across culture um, 30, 40 years ago, and people began kind of using it in all sorts of terms. So it got adopted into politics or anthropology or uh, psychology, even gender norms. We mm. see a lot of those places um, being deconstructed and, and people taking this theory and saying, well, your truth or, or absolute truth is kind of relative and we can kind of make up our meaning for ourselves and what we feel like is true for my experience in the world. That's so fascinating because I, I can really understand how it could apply to language. Like I think of the phrase like surfing the web, right? Totally. That um, Deirdre, that would mean something very different yeah. to him um, than it does to us now. So, like, obviously those languages change, but Absolutely. then it's fascinating that then you apply what feels like a, a pretty low-stakes principle then to, like, know everything's relative. Everything's up for grabs. Exactly, right? I wonder um, how he would feel about that, right? That we've actually applied this principle to all the things. Yeah, totally. I mean, it kind of has set off a, a nuclear bomb in many ways for our, uh-huh. our cultures, but particularly cultures in the West, um, where you run up against this idea all the time that truth is relative and that people can can create their own meaning and and your truth might not be the exact same thing as Mm -hmm. my truth and we see this in all sorts of different places and spaces Um, but it creates a really shaky ground for people to know okay what can we trust and what can we believe in Um, you see it even in news with people saying things like this news is fake and this news is true and no one really knows like who to trust, what to trust, because truth is kind of undefined. Mm-hmm. When it definitely you see it today in like faith and religion, specifically Christianity, right? That Absolutely. in this um, process that has been coined deconstruction, right? And that is the process of questioning, doubting, and sometimes rejecting aspects of Christian faith. So now all of a sudden, in good like church fashion, right? That everything hits the church like 20 years after everyone else deals with it, right? Um, So now all of a sudden, there's a lot of question about what is true, why do we believe what we believe? And are we just believing these things because that's what the church has told us based, you know, off of assumptions as opposed to like what is actually biblical? Yeah, totally. And I think that's such an important um, definition, working definition for what we're talking about throughout um, this podcast series is that this idea of the, the process of questioning, doubting, sometimes rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. I know you already said that, but I just think it bears yeah, repeating because yeah. that's, yeah, such an important part of this conversation. Um, and I think for most people, while that might feel like a little bit of an abstract concept, they've probably experienced this in their life. And so it often feels like or or is the experience of maybe you've been reading scripture, you've been in some sort of Bible study, you've heard a sermon, and something the pastor says, the teacher says, something you read in scripture creates these questions about what does that actually mean or how could that, and there's this crisis of faith around these questions and this doubt. Like a a common example, and this was part of my own story, but uh, I remember being in middle school and we were studying Genesis and we were talking about the flood, Mm -hmm. and this is a common uh, experience for a lot of people, but when you look at the flood and you look at God going to the world and saving Noah and his sons and their wives, and destroying everyone else, Mm -hmm. you kind of look at that and think, if anybody else in history did that, we would call that what it is, which is genocide and and like mass killing. 
how is it okay to say that God did that? And so I just had questions, was kind of wrestling like, what does it mean that God is good, but he's willing to do this? I remember my youth pastor saying kind of the classic example or the, the classic response is, well, God's ways are not our ways. <laughs> The church's version of shh, 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 shh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so when you have those questions, that's not a satisfying answer. No. And so you're either, you get one of two messages. One is that your question is not like a valid question. Yeah. Um, so you just need to forget about it. Or sometimes even people who are questioning experience a, a, an even darker response, which is your question might be valid, but it's wrong for you to go down this path. Mm. And it's dangerous if you start engaging with some of these questions and if you start deconstructing some of your faith. And so I think a big, heart for us in this season is trying to create space where those conversations are safe, where they're welcome to recognize that um, doubt and deconstruction are not uh, mutually synonymous with losing your faith by any means, but actually an experience of growing deeper in your faith in many cases. Absolutely. Deconstruction is a deeply biblical activity. There are so many examples of people in the Bible processing their faith, looking through the nuances, um, and actually changing their convictions um, based off of getting new information. Right. Um, so an- initially, I think about Jacob, right, that he literally wrestles with God and then, you know, forces God um, to bless him, right? And then he gets this new name, Israel, which means he struggles with God yeah. and is held up for that title that totally. it's, you know, there's no judgment. He's not punished. Mm-hmm. Um for wrestling with God, but um, he's actually blessed because of it. Totally. And when you look at his story, there's so many different points and moments where he's hoping, wondering where God is, hoping God will show up. And he is. He's he's wondering why God isn't blessing him, whether or not he's good enough. He's constantly perceived as this person who's striving and trying mm-hmm. to earn his favor. He's constantly being deceived by other people. Um, and yet God comes to him in this moment. They wrestle and he clings to God and says, I'm not going to let you go until you give me the blessing and the longing uh, that I'm working for. And to your point, uh, he doesn't like get reprimanded. He doesn't yeah. get killed. He doesn't get smoked. <laughs> Is say, that the past tense? I don't know, but I just made it that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so so there's this experience of him struggling, wrestling with God. And, and that name, Israel, struggles, wrestles with God, is becomes the name for the whole nation of Israel. Yeah. Kind of characterizing their journey with God is, a, is going to be a struggle and a wrestling and, and something that they're going to constantly be working through. Mm-hmm. Well, and while they're wrestling, God hurts Jacob's hip, right? Yeah. And so I think that... Um, is a really fascinating way to look at even our process of wrestling with God, that it Absolutely. it changes us. Mm-hmm. And there can be really painful things. That, like Growth is a painful yeah. process, um, and we are changed by deconstruction. We are changed by wrestling, mm-hmm. um, but we are, in the end, better for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another example um, is the doubting father in Mark 9. So, you know, he brings his son to Jesus who has epilepsy and says, um, please heal him if you can. And Jesus says, if I can, like you can do all things for through belief. And, and the father says, um, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his son is healed. Yeah. So I think that that is a really beautiful example of someone coming to literal Jesus and saying, I have these questions, I have these doubts, even though you're standing right in front of me, um, and God 
still heals his son, that he's not reprimanded in front of, you know, this group of people. Again, that it is that Jesus meets him where he's at totally. um, yeah. and, and heals his son. Yeah, that's exactly the phrase I was thinking of, is that in our doubt, in our wrestling, in our question, or our unbelief, it's not that we're ostracized or cast out of the faith or that we're kicked out of relationship with Jesus. It's that we're actually, like, welcomed in that space yeah. and Jesus meets us in those spaces. And so... A lot of times, I think when people go through deconstruction or doubt or seasons of wrestling and questioning, there's a sense of shame mm. that they can often mm-hmm. feel of like, oh, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Um, why am I? Why am I having these questions that maybe other people don't have? And does that mean there's something wrong with the way I see the world or that Jesus hasn't saved me? Or, there's all sorts <laughs> yeah. of places that we go. Um, and yet what you see in scripture, and particularly that story from Mark 9, is that no, that's, that's actually the space where our faith can grow and deepen mm-hmm. and we can see new sides of who Jesus is that we didn't experience or know before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, the other one that I was thinking of is Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas, right? And in John 20, we see that, you know, the disciples go to Thomas and say, like, Jesus is here. He's like, I don't believe you. Like, I need to see him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus comes to him again, lovingly shows him, you know, the scar, shows him his face, and then Thomas believes. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that is another example of how God wants to give us the experiences to help us believe, that He doesn't want us to live in the dark. He obviously wants us to have faith, but He wants to give us those like breadcrumbs, if you will, to help us in that process. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way of, of looking at this idea of deconstruction. And I think um, it is important for us to realize, as you said, that it's deeply biblical. It's a, it's a part of the journey of faith. Um, I do think it's worth saying that um, deconstruction, like we kind of mentioned earlier, it, it's kind of taken on a lot of meaning in yeah. a lot of spaces. And so sometimes uh, when I hear the phrase deconstruction uh, used, or I see people using it on Twitter or wherever it might be <laughs> in conversation with people who are going through it, is I, I think sometimes uh, the there's almost an antagonism or an aggression to deconstruction mm. that I would actually more characterize as, as demolition. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference between doubting, wrestling, questioning. I think a lot a lot of times that stuff that happens passively to you, you experience something in the world and it doesn't reconcile with what you believe and so that creates a season of doubt. There's also like an aggressive going out looking for spaces to deconstruct and demolish mm-hmm. and what you often see in, in people in some of those spaces is a tearing down without any intent of building up. And so we're just going to tear all this apart, um, break everything down. There's an anger often from from woundedness that's mm-hmm. happened or from poor teaching or, or a lot of different things. Um, but my heart breaks for people that I see kind of falling into this demolition category because all they're left with the, at the end of that process is just an empty pit or yeah. a broken down um, faith that actually doesn't have any. And then often, you know, it, it can result in leaving the faith. Or mm-hmm. But there's an emptiness, I think, that I experience in a lot of my conversations with people who have, who have gone through that process. Well, I think the tricky thing is that even if you break down your Christian faith and there's this empty pit, you're going to have to build something else, right? So it might not be Christianity, unfortunately, but I don't think that people can really get through life not believing anything. Right. Like, you can't live in that existential crisis place of like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, like... 
maybe we're all just amoeba, you know? Like, I don't know, right? Or in the Matrix. Or exactly. That's literally what I see. I was like, ooh, weird, the goo, goo people. Um, right? That you can't, you can't live in that place forever. And so right. I think that's the tricky thing is that you end up, like, demolishing all yeah. of the things and then you still have to, you have to build something up that yeah. I think all of us as people, you need to have a foundation of, of belief to move forward and like function in the totally. world. Totally, Yeah. And so I think that's an important kind of caveat for our conversation is that when we talk about deconstruction, we're, we're for sure people who are in that demolition category, like we welcome them, we want yeah. them to be a part of the conversation. And, and we think um, that, that, this should be a safe space. The church should actually be the place that, that has these conversations. And I think that's one reason why a lot of people go from deconstruction to demolition is because the church hasn't created yeah. a safe space. And so they have these questions and they're they're kind of told that, well, if you go down this path, it's the slippery slope. Right? I've heard that phrase so many <laughs> right? times. You start questioning this thing and then pretty soon your faith is going to yep. be out the window when the church should be the space that says, oh, you have questions about that? Like, let's search and, and mm. question and wonder um, and wrestle with that together. Um, and that those questions are valid and needed. And yeah. I think it actually can lead to a broader scope of belief and understanding that maybe the, the Christian subculture that you grew up in is not the only way of following Jesus, yeah. um, which can be a disorienting thing for a lot of people. Um, but it doesn't have to be this conversation of, of you have to believe everything we believe, and if you don't believe that, then we think you're going to hell, and so therefore you're kind of left with no, no option except for demolishing everything and, and being yeah. left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's something that we'll really chat about this season is how much gray there is in our faith totally. and and how that has not necessarily been encouraged or talked about and you know because i think so often big c church wants um wants us to all believe the truth right and yeah. so all and then all of a sudden you take these like very big concepts and you try to like whittle them down to like bite-sized things and you actually end up losing all of the nuance Absolutely. um and then if that's what you've grown up with then you're like, I, I just need to pray one prayer and then I'm cool forever. You're like, oh, that's not quite, that's not quite it. Um, yeah. And so I think that that is something that hopefully we can bring to the table is like how much gray and how a lot of the truths that we've really thought are true are not the only answer. Yeah, totally. And I think it's important to, to say, too, as we kind of dive into this conversation, a lot of this episode is just kind of setting the table yeah. for the further conversations. But um, there are a number of reasons why people go through the process of deconstruction. And we really want to have a lot of sympathy for that mm-hmm. because it's often coming from a very uh, painful experience. Um, you know, when you look at people going through deconstruction, I think there's there's probably a lot of reasons, but you could kind of boil them down or, or synthesize them into a few kind of common thoughts. And one, um, often the process of deconstruction starts with some sort of wounding mm-hmm. that takes place. And that could either be um, maybe it's suffering that you've experienced. Yeah. And so your view of God is, is really difficult to reconcile with your experience. Um, sometimes it's wounding that's happened from the faith community, um, questions that you've had that people told you you shouldn't have. Um, one part of my kind of story of faith is is the wounding that I, I took on from the faith community that I was a part of where a teacher, a pastor who was very involved in our church ended up having an affair with our kids' pastor and broke up the family. He was someone who was super influential in a lot of our our faith journeys as we were Mm -hmm. going through high school. He had gone on retreats and spoken at conferences for us. Watching that kind of fall leaves a wounding and a wrestling of, man, if 
if this person can follow, if they, like, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Is yeah. Jesus real? If, if this kind of person, is it all just a lie? And mm-hmm. um, so it cannot, deconstruction can also come from this, this place of wounding from a lot of different, different spaces. Absolutely. I think another space that we often see, and it's kind of related to the first, but the, the ways we see deconstruction taking place is from really poor teaching. Mm-hmm. You see so many different examples of people misusing or abusing scripture or teaching things that um, they consider true. And if you hear some of these teachings that, that are maybe false or poor teachings, but you think that's the only way of viewing mm-hmm. the faith, man, that is a really difficult space to, to live in or to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And so um, like a, a couple of examples I can think of that we'll get into throughout the season. But if you're told your entire life that, that the only Christian option is to believe in literal six-day creation, <laughs> and it's the only uh-huh. thing you can believe. And then you start to see and learn things that actually say that that might not be true scientifically. And you're told that that's the only way you can see Genesis 1 and 2. And then you're left in this crisis of faith of this kind of poor teaching. Mm. People put imposing their will on, on a part of Scripture that's not actually intended to say that. And you're left in this space of questioning and doubt, wrestling, and, and you're kind of forced to deconstruct because mm-hmm. of this poor teaching. And another example I think of, and this one is, is maybe deserves a trigger warning, but I've heard people say things um, in the church of like, uh, it's awful. And I think that unequivocally, this is a false teaching, period. But that, that you, like you were raped for God's glory or things like wow. that, right? That like this idea that God is sovereign. He has a plan for your life. Everything that happens to you is according to God's Oof. will. That's awful teaching. Yeah, and so if you yeah. experience that, man, is that a God that you really want to believe in? And so poor teaching can can so often create spaces where it's really hard for people to hold on to the things that they've been taught. Um, Especially if outside of the church, they're hearing people say, like, that was wrong, that yeah. was not okay, which is actually what is true. Totally. That then why would they, yeah. why would someone choose to stay right. in this um, in this community yeah. when people outside of it yeah. um, are actually speaking truth? Totally, yeah. I think uh, another space that we sometimes deconstruct or that, that we see deconstruction taking place, and this is going to sound really hard. And so um, if this is like a <laughs> statement that just immediately turns you off, I hope you can kind of stay with us in this conversation. But um, sometimes there's a, a movement towards deconstruction because um, we have this desire for, for things that are outside of God's will and mm. that, that we would call sin. There's a process of if, if you are in a place where you are doing something that you've been told your whole life is a sin, you kind of want to deconstruct to get to a place where you don't have to feel guilty or ashamed yeah. about that kind of sin. And so um, that maybe sounds like an uncharitable way of looking at some people's deconstruction. I think sometimes it's it's more complicated than that because some things we've been told are sin are not actually sin. And right. so we have to wrestle through some of those things. But um, those are just some of the places that I think you can see Christianity um, being deconstructed and people mm-hmm. wrestling with this. Do you want to call out anyone's sin specifically? <laughs> Do you want to just really make yeah. Okay, no, cool. Just checking. <laughs> that would fall under the poor teaching category. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, we can clear of that. Yeah, I know this guy named Steve. No, let's exactly. not do that. Um, I love what Russell Moore says uh, about it because I, I think this is maybe the, the fourth place that you often see deconstruction um, taking place. Uh, and it might fall into the category of 
poor teaching or Mm. wounding, but he says this about the experience. He says, we now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they don't believe what the church teaches, but because they believe that the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. Mm. And I think there's this um, frustration a lot of people have that they grew up being told uh, that truth isn't relative and that Mm -hmm. that truth is is, um, objective. And then they saw the same people who taught that start saying things that were clearly true were false or yeah. fake news or whatever it might be. And so there's this disconnect of, do you actually believe what you've taught us? And so mm-hmm. if you don't and you're not living out your belief, then why should I? Yeah. Um, and so it creates this, this crisis of, of faith. One, I think for me, like one of my biggest kind of crisis of faith or things that have led to deconstruction is like the January 6th insurrection. Like I was always, those pictures are burned in my brain of people carrying these crosses Mm -hmm. next to this like makeshift noose. And you're like, ooh, like that's not, I hope we don't go to church together. Like I don't, that's not what I believe. And the fact that you are carrying these two symbols next to one another and that you are totally fine with that makes me very uncomfortable and really i think um speaks to the piece of the church not actually believing what they say they believe totally yeah i I think you're spot on and that's a great example it might be kind of a charged example for some people but i think for especially a lot of young people that's one that sticks out in their mind and i think that that's really in some ways the crux of of the deconstruction um, process yeah. or, or movement, if you will, and that it's really this kind of sifting out between what is truly Christianity and what is a Christian subculture, or maybe not even a Christian subculture, but just a, a culture that's co-opted and adopted Christianity yeah. as some of their principles. And so um, I think a lot of people feel very disoriented in this process because uh, the Christian subculture that they grew up in feels like the only way of viewing scripture, the only way of viewing Jesus. And um, when they have trouble believing or understanding that particular worldview, Mm. end up just walking away from the faith rather than realizing, so that's one very, very small piece of the pie. There's a whole other realm of orthodoxy um, that can be considered following Jesus and true. And you don't have to walk away just because of this weird, toxic Christian subculture that co-opted Jesus. Mm -hmm. What I think that that is this um, huge difference between when people talk about that you have to believe all of these certain things, which I know that you have this beautiful example that I'll let you (laughs) talk about, right? But just this, you know, that it's only the everything that fits into this box versus um, a journey. So maybe could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So I, gosh, I always feel kind of cliche when I talk about this example. I feel so, it's almost (laughs) painful to say. (laughs) That's Um, why I made you do it. (laughs) In a lot of my conversations with people uh, who are going through this process or wrestling, um, I I think they've they've actually found this somewhat helpful. Um, If you do, great. If you don't, I'm sorry. Um, it's this idea that that most of us, I think, uh, especially those who are are kind of millennial, um, Gen Z, digital generation, uh, we kind of grew up in this culture that viewed Christianity as as a brick wall or or a a fortress that had to be maintained. And so we have to make sure that all of our right doctrine, all of our right belief, being a Christian is believing all of the right things. Mm -hmm. And each of those things that we believe is is a brick in the wall. And if you start taking away some of those bricks or chipping some of those bricks, then 
our authority figures, the people who are leaders in that kind of subculture, begin to say, oh, you can't do that because you are threatening the integrity of our wall, of yeah. our fortress. Um, you're going to let the enemy in, or you might find a way to get into the, the other camps. And and so this idea of, of faith was really this fortress that protected us from the outside world. You have to believe all the right things in order to protect yourself, know who's in your tribe, know who's out of your tribe. Um, and in that type of mindset, um, if you begin chipping away at those things, then it's it's a very dangerous prospect to the community um, because it starts chipping away at things that they think are, are central and core um, to their belief, to their community, and to, to their tribe. And so when we're talking about deconstruction, we kind of want to move away from that image of faith, that, that faith is not this fortress uh, that has to be maintained. Um, it's not about keeping certain people out and keeping certain people in. Uh, it's not about trying to make sure that you have all of the exact correct and right beliefs in the exact right spot um, that someone else says you're supposed to have it in. Um, we don't want to see this process be something that, that's considered threatening um, by any means. And so the way that I've kind of shifted some of, of my view, and this is where it gets really cliche, <laughs> it's almost painful, is that you instead of a brick wall, we've got to kind of look at faith more as a brick road. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that, is I it just, a, a certain color or not, anything? We, okay. no, we don't want no yellow brick roads. <laughs> we're not going to the land of laws. Or, oh. oh, man. But if you think about a brick road, if you start removing some bricks or chipping away at them, you're like, hey, I'm not sure that this brick actually goes here. You can take that brick out, and the integrity of the road isn't isn't really compromised. You can yeah. still travel on the road. It's still a safe place to travel. It might be a bumpier ride at times, or it's it might true. be, and that's kind of like what doubt is. Um, it's a little too on the nose. I think that's why it's hit so painful. That's fair. But, um, but it's this idea that instead of a, a place that protects us, keeps us in, that everything has to be um, in the right place to make sure the fortress doesn't fall, uh, it's actually a journey that we explore, that we move things around, we see if they fit. And I, I think the the critical piece to this is that um, I, I often tell people that we're all heresies at some point, some level. We're all <laughs> heretical. Like none of us has faith perfectly figured yeah. out. And if you think you're a person um, that has no heretical beliefs, then you must be God because he's yeah. the only one that can uh-huh. understand himself yeah. perfectly. And so we have to approach our faith with much more humility than I think mm. many of us screw up yeah. experiencing or seeing. Um, and I think some of that shift can can create some of that humility that because it, it lessens the threat. And if there's mm-hmm. not something that people are afraid of or angry about, you can actually have more open conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, God is an infinite being, and we are we are finite. And so right. there's no way that we can fully understand an infinite, totally. infinite being. So we've <laughs> yeah. made God into yep. um, a finite being, and there's yeah. pieces of Him that we can never understand. And so I think that's a really yeah. good word to like have that humility going into all of these situations and, and holding some of those um, thoughts loosely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think our hope as we go through this process and maybe shift some of our, our views about faith is that it wouldn't be a space just to demolish. Yeah. Um, there are some things for sure that need to have a wrecking ball taken to them within um, the Christian subculture, uh, but not just for the sake of tearing those things down, but actually for, for renovation. Um, if you think of, I like my wife and I, we love to watch HGTV, like all the time our <laughs> picture up is amazing. Like, there's never an episode where they demolish a house and then just leave it demolished, and that's the big reveal. It's and they're true. like, hey, look, we <laughs> tore it down to the studs. Awesome. Like, there's always 
a finish like before and after. Yeah. And that's what we want this kind of experience with this season to be is is the the demolition for sure, but there's always a process of renovation and and um, remodeling and making something better and more true and more pure than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that everyone is hearing that deconstruction is good yeah. and necessary and an important part of growing in your faith. I mean, it's But it's important to consider what you're setting out to do, you know, whether you're demolishing, like you just talked about, Paul, or whether you're deconstructing, that it's not about, you know, ripping out the fortress and leaving it, that yeah. it's about going on a journey together. And so we really hope that this podcast kind of facilitates that conversation. Yeah, totally. We thought, given that, that, that we, we would consider doubt and deconstruction in this wrestling a, a good thing, um, we thought it might be helpful as we kick off this season to, to kind of finish this episode talking about um, what a lot of different uh, theologians or sociologists have talked about as the journey of faith, um, the brick road of faith, if you will. Oh, <laughs> so painful. Um, hopefully people are laughing like you and not just right. cringing yeah. um, like me. <laughs> but there have, a lot, there have been a lot of theologians, a lot of uh, leaders in the church, um, a lot of sociologists and psychologists who have talked about, um, both from a secular worldview and a Christian worldview, uh, that faith is is a journey with different stages. Um, and a part of those stages is deconstruction, which we'll talk about. But uh, for your reference, if you want to read a little bit more about some of this, a, a few books that are really helpful are um, The Stages of Faith, The Psychology of Human Development, and The Quest for Meaning by James Fowler. Um, there's another book called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. Uh, a number of other people have written on it, like Kierkegaard or Rohr. Um, but what we wanted to do was kind of use a framework that was given to us uh, by Brian McLaren, um, because it's it's kind of the most simplistic yeah. um, and easiest to, to maybe convey through a, a podcast. Um, but he talks about the journey of faith really in, in four stages. And the first is uh, simplicity. The second stage is complexity. The third stage is perplexity. And then the last stage is harmony. And we thought it would be a helpful process to maybe walk through each of those stages and kind of provide some definition and meaning. So those of you listening could maybe map where you fall along that journey. because I think that'll be helpful as we jump into some of these deeper conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, I think another thing that's really important to note is that there is no right or wrong stage of faith, and it is often very cyclical, which um, we'll definitely see when we talk about it, that you can kind of jump back, you know, you'll get to stage three, you'll jump back and um, kind of, you know, to stage one, and, and that there is no right or wrong stage. So know that there is no... Um, you're supposed to be in this stage, and exactly. that's where you've arrived, and you're... Yeah. Exactly. There's no value in either any of these stages. So the first stage, stage one, is simplicity. And that is a stage that is very dualistic. So right or wrong, black or white, um, in terms of living, thinking, believing, that there is strict obedience um, that measures your faithfulness and your worth. And your truth is defined um, by authority figures that um, that you're very codependent on what they think and feel about certain things. And I would say that this is comparable to kind of to the like infant toddler stage of faith you know that we've all been around those little kids that yeah. they, they're not they need to know from you what is right or wrong totally. that they're not necessarily going to determine that for themselves right yeah right and practically this is it can look like mature faith because it's re- they're very committed but if you ask them any questions they're just going to regurgitate uh what they've heard before and um you can probably usually pretty quickly poke holes because they 
there hasn't been a lot of thought behind uh what they believe that they're just kind of like uh, shooting it back out. Yeah, totally. They're very dependent on um, external authority figures defining yeah. right and wrong for them. So, yeah. like I think of my daughter, who's two right now, two and a half. She is in a hitting phase. She just oh, no. really thinks it's so funny to hit us, and we have to say like, no, that's not like yeah. a right thing to do, and help define uh, right or wrong for her. And it is very black and white. Like, don't do this do this right. um hands are not for hitting they're for like holding right like you have <laughs> i to, have like, that book <laughs> yeah exactly you have to make it very clear um but there in this stage there isn't a lot of questioning it's, you're very dependent on external so it, it's this person who uh, will sit and hear a sermon and just everything the preacher mm-hmm. says they like adopt wholesale believe is true um it's a very uh, beautiful time in faith because yeah. you don't really have to spend a lot of time uh with like angst or worry or doubt mm-hmm. um you just are, are kind of in love with Jesus, or, or maybe if it's a different faith, whatever it might be, but in love with Jesus and experience um, just kind of this this very simplistic worldview um, that, that, yeah, isn't threatened. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, um, people often move into a, a stage that... Um, McLaren calls complexity. Uh, and this is, is similar to simplicity in that it's still very a, a right and wrong way of viewing the world, but it's very uh, performance-based. And so it's not ne- necessarily that you're dependent on external authority figures to, to tell you what's right or wrong, but you're very externally motivated. And so when you think of doing what's good, uh, you need some sort of reward to, mm-hmm. to help you reinforce uh, this orientation towards um, towards what's right or wrong. Uh, it's an, an area and a stage of faith that often is accompanied by lots of growth and, and there's lots of action. Um, people in this stage are often the people that are like, I want to change the world. I want to like <laughs> grow up and like make sure that like sex trafficking ends for all time and is never a thing that we have to deal with again. Very like noble and, mm-hmm. and good uh, space to be in. It's, it's more of an independent space too. You don't have to have someone that tells you what's right or wrong, but you really are looking for, for a coach uh, mm-hmm. to come alongside and help you uh, coach through the decisions or hard uh, moments you have. It, it's kind of that stage of childhood or, or teenager developmentally. You're growing in independence from parents, but you still need motivators or assistance to like stay on track. So mm-hmm. Camden, if we just give her the option between like ice cream and vegetables, mm-hmm. is going to choose ice cream every time. It's <laughs> awesome. Who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> she needs external motivators like, hey, eat your vegetables so you can have ice cream, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's this different way of, of kind of seeing the world than simplicity. Um, it's very production oriented. It's often the people that you see that you're like, oh my gosh, they are so on fire for mm. Jesus. Like they read their Bible every single day. They don't miss church on Wednesday or on Sunday morning. They're at every church camp conference. Like they are just constantly learning, growing, wanting to develop their faith. Um, they're very committed to the the church community and people who are, are, are looking at them often have a lot of admiration. Like mm. this person is just wholesale bought out all in on the faith. Mm-hmm. I remember being in this stairly. Yeah. One moment comes to mind where um, kind of growing up in youth group, kind of that Christian dating, that there are all these rules of like how you could date that's Uh like, don't be horizontal. And so somehow it was like, no, I could be like 45 degrees. Uh I can be like smooching. (laughs) Like that's not breaking the rules. Uh You know, that it's kind of this like um, still more boundaries and parameters, but definitely trying to like 
toe those things. Exactly. Well, if that's what you're telling me is wrong, then you know, I I won't I won't do that. But I'll I'll go right up to the line. Yeah, the sense of right or wrong isn't more deeply motivated by like, hey, what's best for me? Exactly. Right. It's just like, hey, I'll make sure I follow the rule that someone told me I'm supposed to do and. As long as I don't cross that line, I'm good. And I'm yeah. sure you've had several of those conversations when you were a youth pastor oh, with dating, sure. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think that's, it's a very like tween age uh, stage of faith because it, mm-hmm. it is a lot of that external motivation. Um, and, uh, but it does have a little bit more of a, a complex worldview than, than simplicity. Mm-hmm. And then typically what will happen next, um, and they only talk about this stage, um, Hagberg in Hagberg and Gulak talk, talk about this stage. So this isn't in McLaren, but you kind of go to this place called the wall. And that is when there's this disconnect. Something happens where there's a disconnect between what you believe and what you've experienced that kind of causes this crisis of faith. And so I know that I've gotten to the stage, I mean, I'm sure several times as like an angsty teenager, because that really like illustrates this. (laughs) But I think oftentimes when I see suffering in the world Mm. that doesn't equate with the fact that like God is a good God and you end up kind of Mm. with these two competing uh ideas and it's like wait a minute like if god is good like why do babies die like i don't it just doesn't make sense and i don't um and there isn't necessarily a good or right answer to that right yeah totally and this is often kind of what we talked about earlier of of the kind of catalyst for deconstruction maybe it's a poor teaching or maybe it's some wounding or like you said suffering you've you've seen someone that you love go through a really difficult time for myself it was um, watching my mom go through cancer Mm. and then eventually passing away I believe God was good prayed trusted and then life didn't turn out the way I wanted what do you do in that crisis moment and that's Mm -hmm. often the wall of faith where um, yeah it's kind of like when you're a teenager and you realize your parents are fallible right? (laughs) and you're like oh wow they're not perfect and they like can do things that are unjust or wrong Mm -hmm. or like um, and and there's this almost broken trust uh, that you can have in faith with who God is Um, it's a very disorienting I mean most the, the time when I've hit the wall, I've hit it hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. Like, I feel concussed. <laughs> like, this is not a uh, stage of faith. What is tricky is there's kind of three different reactions when you get to that wall that some people will go back to simplicity or stage right. one. That it's like, this feels too complicated, too hard. I just want to go back to black and white, right and wrong. I, yep. There's a I, safety in that. Exactly. Like, in yeah, I don't want to yeah. process that. Like, mm-hmm. this feels too, like, too much. Um, then kind of another group will say, I'm out. Like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't... If there is a good God, why would this happen? I can't answer that question, and so I'm I'm gonna bounce. Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of this third group that says, I want to go further up and further in. I want to continue to dive into this and get the answers, and it might be hard and gritty, but I I want to do that. Yeah, totally. And it, for that group, if you do decide to to move a little bit further into the faith, uh, then it, it leads to the stage that McLaren calls uh, perplexity. Um, and again, this is often part of of the phase of deconstruction. Um, and doubt and wrestling, but it, it's this embrace of mystery. Um, mm-hmm. Morality and truth often can feel intention in this space. There, This is the space where you go from black and white to realizing there's a lot more gray um, in the world. It's the classic uh, ex- ethics example, right, of is it wrong to steal to feed your family that's yeah. starving, right? And, mm-hmm. and you can hold some of those things uh, in tension. Um, I'll also say that this is, is kind of a painful space because having gone through that 
that that wall, that broken trust, it's often a place of uh, severe distrust yeah. of authority figures or leaders, people who have have wounded you. It's it's almost counter dependent instead of codependent. That mm. you're you're kind of rebelling. There's angst, some anger even, um, and and there's this desire for authenticity, but there's a constant questioning or doubting whether or not anything really mm. is authentic. Um, again, this is this would be uh, comparable to like a teenager um, who's struggling with authority rejects like the basic morality um, for more complex belief systems and structures. Um, and this is the place that the church often fails people. Because mm. if you think of, of parents who are experiencing teenagers pushing against their authority, parents can often come back and just be like, okay, well, I'm going to draw the line. I'm going to yeah. like put the smack down and you're going to be grounded and we're not going to have this conversation and you need to do what I say because it's right. And the church can often have that same response. Don't mm-hmm. ask these questions. Just believe what we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't actually satisfy or create like um, any kind of answer uh, that produces uh, a deeper faith. It just feels like, oh, okay, I guess I could go back to simplicity where I just trust what you say or I'm going to have to try to figure this out on my own. Um, and this is often a very painful, disorienting place um, to experience your faith, too. Mm-hmm. It can kind of feel like your faith has been turned upside down. Um, it's very frustrating. Uh, you can feel very misunderstood, like a teenager <laughs> does, right? right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so it's a, it's a very frustrating space to, to be in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. When I would say I am definitely in stage three right yeah. now, that I am um, really just, like, picking up different pieces of my faith and processing through them yeah. and, and trying to figure out what... Um, what is really real, like what is true, yeah. because that's what God says versus um, that is what church has told me. But yeah. if you actually read scripture, that's not anywhere. You know, uh-huh. we just kind of developed these strange things yeah. um, from scripture that that's not actually the intent. Yeah, totally. And then I'm sure you could attest that it's it's not like a fun place to be. No. In. You're not like... I'll try not to be too angsty <laughs> here, but no, no yeah. promises. Right. Yeah. Um, and then here's hoping that st- I'm, I'm on my way, stage four, <laughs> harmony. Um, this just sounds so dreamy. So there's this, you know, you kind of have this holistic ex- existence. Faith and doubt are integrated. You're comfortable with tension. Um, it's characterized by compassion and interdependence. That There's this mutual care for others and self and mm. that you are really focused on the, your concern for the common good. Yeah. Um, and so this is just looks like a well-adjusted adult, <laughs> uh, which I think I only know two of those, yeah. <laughs> um, Larry Renault and sure. Bernie Wilton, yeah, who, um, if you've ever gotten a hug from a random woman at church, it's probably her. <laughs> yeah. If you've gotten a hug from a random man, I don't I don't know him. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I think those are the only two that I really think, wow, you're, you're just living in harmony. You're living your best life. Yeah, totally. And I think it's important to, to like reiterate that there's no right or wrong yeah. stage for any of those phases these phases so you can get to this harmony and talk about that and be like oh my gosh like I want to be there I am there and, yeah. but again this is a journey that's cyclical and so like I would say there have been spaces um, like it's not just wholesale like everything yes. about your faith right so there have been certain particular issues that I've had to um, go through all of these stages yeah. with and so there's a few places that I the things that kept me up at night and that I worried about and that I wrestled through I feel like a few of those I am in a more harmonious space mm-hmm. um, faith as a whole like definitely not in that space right? like to your point there's only a few who, who can really like claim that space um, but uh, like it, it so I've often gone through like seasons of, of this perplexity and it ends up in a place where I end up back 
in simplicity. I feel like that's kind of more where I would map myself right now that a lot of growth, a lot of the things that have, have caused question or doubting or not keeping me up at night in the same way. Um, the tension feels okay, but I, I feel back to this space of like, um, yeah, more, more at peace with, with who God is and what my relationship with him is. And so there's not a space where you are striving to get to. It's often stuff that just happens and, Mm -hmm. and you have to be okay with that, that journey as we go. Yeah. Typically there's not necessarily like um, intention behind each stage, right? That things will kind of happen to you that will kind of propel you somewhere um, where you're kind of forced with a choose your own adventure, right? Like a choice. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think maybe a good place to wrap this up is, is considering all of those those stages of faith. And, and hopefully you can kind of see like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely in that space as you're, yeah. you're listening. Um, but a place to maybe wrap up is, is how do we deal with that space of deconstruction mm-hmm. or that, that space of perplexity? What do we do when we hit the wall? And I think um, there's kind of two angles to this conversation. So one is, is what do you do when you yourself are in that space? Mm-hmm. And then the second is what do you do if you're not in that space but you you want to walk alongside someone mm-hmm. who's going through that and how do you do that well so do you have any thoughts on I guess for the first group what does it look like to help or when you are in deconstruction how do you deal with that yeah since I'm I'm there baby <laughs> um, so I think the biggest thing is to stay in your faith um, to really commit to that truth um, that doesn't necessarily mean your specific church so sometimes that might require you to move on um, and to go to a different um, like building, right, and be in a different community, but I think um, clinging clinging to Jesus throughout the process, as cheesy as that sounds, <laughs> um, is important. Um, I think also knowing that oftentimes, kind of to your point earlier, Paul, that we are actually probably more deconstructing subcultures and tiny pieces of this huge piece that means faith, and so if you can kind of put that in perspective, um, that you that you don't have to throw out all of your belief just because you kind of wrestle with um, this one piece of it. Yeah, totally. And I think it's it's also important to say, like, I love what you said about like staying in the faith, and that's not necessarily like your church or your community, or but that there's a, a broader faith to to kind of cling to in the midst of this process. Um, I think it, it's important for people who are in that space to know that most, like you, you will probably feel very misunderstood yeah. as you go through this process. And so even he, hearing someone say like, stay in the faith, like don't give up on the faith. Um, it, it's not just like a cliche of, of, hey, make sure that you don't give up too much of your faith. Um, but I think the, the intent behind what we're saying is that as you have to have really honest and really difficult mm-hmm. conversations um, about a lot of things that, that uh, might be wrong with, with Christian faith, um, there's still a, a good Jesus at the center. Yeah. And that the process of this deconstruction is kind of what we talked about of renovation, of, of getting to the, the core and to a deeper truth, a deeper understanding of who he is. Um, and the reason why I would say is stay with that is because we think Jesus is beautiful mm-hmm. and worth that journey. Well, absolutely. I mean, the deconstruction is... Um, the puberty of faith, right? <laughs> like, and I think we all can remember when we just felt so misunderstood and we yeah. felt so weird and like not necessarily um, comfortable in our it's bodies. The it's, it's, it's the worst, so right? Awkward. And just like so many fights with your mom and dad, like <laughs> you don't understand me, <laughs> so many tears. right? And it's and I'm sure that they were like, "You're insane," yeah. right? Um, and, and so I think that's the tricky tension is that you won't feel understood. Yeah. Um, 
but just hopefully you can enter that situation with grace and and know that they have either gone through this and and want what's best for you and so they don't want you to be in this hard place um or they haven't been through it yet yeah and so they haven't kind of processed through those same questions or haven't um, dealt with the specific um, issues that have kind of caused you to deconstruct. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully you can be gracious that way. But again, just know that Jesus and religion are different things. And so to make sure that you are deconstructing religion and not and not Jesus. Yeah, anymore. I think that's a great way to phrase it. And I think for those who are maybe outside of the, the space of deconstruction, either they've gone through it or haven't gone through it yet, but are, are seeing someone they love yeah. go How are you supposed to help me? <laughs> Paul, help me. What do, what do you do? I think the first thing is that it is so important to know that uh, you don't have to have all the answers. Mm. And even the things that you do have answers for are actually not helpful. Yeah. Because like, if I just come to you and you have a question about, I don't know, something about hell, and I'm like, oh, here's the answer that you can check. <laughs> You're in a space where you don't trust an authority or someone mm. out. You're trying to figure it out for yourself. And so just telling someone the right answers isn't actually helpful at all. They have to do that exploration on their own and come to those conclusions on their own. Um, so don't feel like you have to have the right answers. And if you do even think that you have the right answers, it's probably not helpful for their process anyway. So just alleviate <laughs> that burden. I don't know is a great answer yeah, uh, for absolutely. people in this space. Um, I think the other thing, and this is where my, my heart breaks because I think the church has not done this well, but it, is that we have to have patience uh, with this process. Um, when people need to work through stuff on their own and, and um, you can't just give them all the answers, but but you have to be patient as they're exploring and, mm -hmm. and it has to be a, a space uh, that's safe, that they don't feel judged for their questions, that you validate um, mm -hmm. their experience, that you can even apologize for things that, that they may have experienced that have wounded them. I think a, a, a deep characterization, I keep thinking of the, the phrase of quick to listen, slow to speak, mm. slow to anger. And so many times when people react in a teenage way, <laughs> uh, parents come down hard, they don't listen, mm -hmm. they don't, and, and the church has to have a different response. So just listen, ask mm -hmm. questions, explore, be curious, um, have a lot of mercy and grace um, and compassion. Uh, because like we've kind of said a few times, it's not a fun space to be no. in. So it's not like someone's like, hey, I feel so angsty, this is awesome. <laughs> I love having this anxiety in this like existential <laughs> crisis about everything I thought I've believed. Um, no one loves that. Right. And so so have grace, compassion, um, and sit with people uh, on this. And then the, I think the, the last thing I would say is that people's questions, people's doubts is not an attack on God. Mm. It's not an attack on you. Like you, we, you have to be bigger than feeling threatened yeah. um, by this. Faith is not a brick wall that you have to make sure is maintained and upheld. Um, and so we have to move to a space where we don't feel threatened by people's questions or doubts or wrestlings, but actually see that as, as a good and healthy and, and holistic way mm -hmm. of growing deeper in relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. That's a, a good word. You yeah. know, just again, with that humility, that approaching those situations with humility yeah. is really important. So we are super excited about this season. We hope this has been kind of a helpful framework. It's probably like feels like a very long introduction <laughs> to this conversation. And you're like, let's start getting into some of the, the harder stuff and talk about the specific topics. That's what we plan on doing yeah. uh, with the rest of the, the series um, in this season. And so a number of the topics we're going to try to hit, if, if you're curious, we're going to be talking about things like the patriarchy in Christian culture. Uh, we're going to hit science and faith. Uh, do we trust the Bible? And, and is the Bible trustworthy and true? How do 
we interact with scripture. We're gonna look at suffering, sexual ethics, purity culture, politics, um, even the afterlife, heaven and hell, a lot of the spaces that people have questions and wrestlings uh, and doubts. So it should be- And atonement, really... don't forget about oh, atonement. Oh, atonement, yeah, I did, I forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, atonement as well. And, and how we deal with, with what um, really the gospel is. Any last things you'd want to say? No, this is great. I'm excited and um, hopefully you all want to join us on this journey together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. You can join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show is edited and mixed by Luke McCready, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerkink. We'll be back next Monday with our next episode.